0: As most of you know, Carolyn and I do uh, clergy care. We uh, have 60 or more pastors and their wives around the state that we try to care for, spend time with, pray with, encourage any way we can. And part of that work is to attend their worship services. It gives us a chance to see something of their work and their congregation. And last Sunday we were in a little Presbyterian church not far from here. Uh, it, it was. It's her custom to have the children. It's a very small church, so the children sit with their parents during the worship service, and then they come down front, and either the pastor or one of the lay teachers has a children's sermon for them, and then they're dismissed to their Sunday school classes. Well, for whatever reason, there wasn't any Sunday school class that day, and so she introduced. It was a woman, a lay teacher, who was doing the instruction that morning, and she gathered the children. And uh, before she taught them, she said uh, something really cool this morning. She was trying to talk them into this thing. She said, uh, we're, we're not going to go to our Sunday school class. you are going to go back and sit with your parents and hear the pastor preach. And a little boy about three years old in the front row in a foghorn voice you could hear all over the auditorium said, do I have to? <clears throat> So I just wanted to encourage you, and let you—you you don't have to stay if you don't don't want to. There's a little stream west of here near Cuddy Mountain that some friends and I used to fish years ago. I haven't been there for probably 12, 15 years. It flows down a canyon into the Snake River, through an old abandoned homestead and an apple orchard. Rumor had it back then that a cranky old bear foraged there, particularly in the fall, which is when we normally fish that stream. I never saw him, but as a friend of mine says, a bear makes you think about things. My feet always moved a little faster when I passed that way, and I was more circumspect in the literal meaning of that term in that I looked everywhere but on the stream. The place always seemed unsafe to me. kind of a scary place. As kids say these days, it creeped me out. I should say I never saw him, but I did one day spook a cow that went thrashing off through the brush. And I could tell you, your life does flash in front of your eyes in a moment of time. I would have to say the same about our culture these days. It's scary. Creepy. It's cold, unkind, loveless, unfriendly abrasive, abusive, lacking in common courtesy and decency, the things that make life worthwhile. Jesus predicted long ago that the time would come when the love of many would grow cold. It's here. It's happened. Paul said much the same thing in the text that was read to you earlier. In the last days, he said, perilous times will come. I think the translation here was terrible times, but it's the word dangerous or perilous, unsafe times. As you know, the expression last days doesn't refer to some far-off era. It refers to the years, the age in which we now live. The author of Hebrews, for example, said in opening his book, The prophets who spoke in various times and in various ways has in these last days spoken unto us in the Son. So there's no question that we're living in the last days we have for the last 2,000 years. And Paul said that perilous times would come. These wouldn't be uniformly perilous times, but there would be cycles of peril. His word perilous means just that, scary, unsafe. It's the word that's used in the Gospels. For the deranged, demonized man that haunted the graveyard in, uh, in Gerasa and who frightened everyone who passed that way. He was so dangerous, it was said, that no one wanted to pass uh, through that graveyard. We ask, is there anything we can do to make our world a safer place? That's our concern. We want to do something redemptive. It's the question philosopher Francis Schaeffer raised 50 years ago when he looked at our postmodern age and asked the question, "How then should we live?" And That's the title of my sermon this morning, and the issue that Paul addresses in this text that we have before us this morning. It's Ephesians 5:15 through 21. I'd like to read it to you. This is the word of the Lord. See then that you walk circumspectly, looking all around, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, it's a very important conjunction, because the consequences of what he has said before come after. See that you walk circumspectly, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You'll notice that he says two things. In each case, he says it negatively and positively. Don't be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled instead with the Spirit of Christ. And then there follows a series of participles that flow out of these commands that give us the result of understanding the will of God and being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Number two, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now let's try to understand the apostles' words so far as we can. Though I really believe if we just set ourselves to do them, we would understand them better than any explanation I can give. We'll see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Look around you, don't be caught off guard, keep your eyes open, be alert, be thoughtful. Don't be like Alfred E. Newman. Some of us that have lived for a while remember that character that used to grace the cover of Mad Magazine and his goofy grin and Jug Ears whose mantra was, who, me, worry? A kind of icon of cluelessness. Paul says, don't be clueless. Don't be foolish. Become aware of the culture, its dysfunctions, and its idolatries. Because if we don't, we'll undoubtedly take on its coloration and its character. Be wise as servants, Jesus said. Don't get fooled. Don't buy into the culture, rather redeem it. Interesting word, redeem. It's built on a noun that means the marketplace, Agora. If you go to Athens today and you have a guide, he will point out some foundation stones slightly to the northwest uh, of the Colosseum, or pardon me, of the Parthenon. And uh, that, he'll say that's the agra. That's the old, the old marketplace. This word redeem is a verb It's based on that noun, agra. It's agorizo. It means to go into the marketplace and buy something. We have the same idiom in English. Uh, there's a complex of buildings over here on coal that we call the mall. Now we go mauling. So we go look for good deals, opportunity to buy. A number of years ago, Carolyn went off to the canned food warehouse, came home with a bunch of groceries and put them on the uh, drain board, and I was helping her putting them away, and there were three 6-pound, 12-ounce cans of canned plums. And I said, what on earth are we going to do with all those plums? I don't even like plums. She said, well, got a little huffy. Well, she said, there were 99 cents a can, and you never know when you're going to have another deal like that. <laughs> See, that's what Paul is saying. Buy up every opportunity while you have the chance to do so. Buy them up because the days are evil. Interesting. Interesting. You would expect him to say, because the days are short. He doesn't say that. He said, because the days are evil. Two things are suggested by that statement. The first is that evil days are not a hindrance to authentic Christianity. Uh, Years ago, when I was a young pastor, I had a woman come to me and uh, say to me, my husband will not let me be a Christian. And I said, oh, what, what does he do? And she said, Well, he won't let me read the Bible. He won't let me go to church. He won't let me pray with the family. To tell you the truth, I don't know what I said to her back then. I may not have known what what to say. But what I would say today is tell me, will he let you be kind? Will he let you be loving? Will he let you be patient? Will he let you be compassionate? Of course, he has no control over those things. So Paul's point is that the days can never be so evil that we cannot be authentically Christian if we understand what it means to live Christianly. The second thing I gather from this statement is that evil days are days of unprecedented opportunity. Paul says, redeem the time, not in spite of, but because the days are evil. The more evil our world becomes, the more unhappy people become. See, vice makes you sad. Virtue makes you happy. That's been known for thousands of years, even before Christ. That virtue is is happifying, as as the classic Greek philosophers used to say. Vice makes you unhappy, makes you feel bad about yourself. Secular society and secular media portray the situation the other way around. They make vice happifying. But fictionalized evil can always look good because you can make it look good. As C.S. Lewis said, you can make anything by writing. You can invent a world where people literally get away with murder or adultery, where there are no consequences to any actions, but that's not the real world. And in this world... Evil always has consequences, and it makes you very, very sad. Years ago, um, I knew a young man in California who rode with the Hell's Angels. He was killed in a knife fight up in the city. Uh, the Angels were fighting another group, and this young man was uh, was murdered they asked uh, Rod's dad, Ron Ritchie, and me to, to have the memorial service. And we went up in the Santa Cruz Mountains uh, behind Palo Alto where there's a kind of a natural bowl in the grass. And we conducted the memorial service up there. The angels came down in their choppers and leathers and sat all around. There were probably 50, 60 of them. And Ron and I talked to him about the love of Jesus, the fact that, that there's no peace apart from Him, no peace in our hearts, and, and no peace in the world. And, and afterwards, the president of, of the angels came up, a guy with a shaved head, kind of a grizzly-looking guy, and thanked us for participating and started to turn away. But then turned back and said to Ron and me, you know, he said, you're right. He said, I got a putt and a pad and an old lady but I ain't got no peace. I've never forgotten that. A putt, a motorcycle, a pad, a place to stay, and an old lady, but I ain't got no peace. And that's the story of our world. That's why the opportunities are unprecedented. And that's why Paul urges us to buy them up. These are hard times. People are hurting. The opportunities are there. Make the most of them. Now, how do you do that? Now, if we follow Paul's argument, as I said, therefore, or he said, therefore, leads us to understand what it means to redeem the times. How do you buy up the opportunities? Two ways, stated both negatively and positively. First, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the word foolish here is a different word than the word translated foolish up above. Here, the word means to be untutored, unlearned, to be ignorant. So how, how do you learn? How do you wise up? Paul says, by understanding the will of the Lord. Now, we're inclined to think of the, of the will of the Lord in terms of guidance. Where I will live, who I will marry, what job I will take. We often ask people to pray for us that we would discern the will of the Lord. The phrase is used that way here and there, but the most comprehensive use concerns not what we do, but what we are. It has to do with being, not doing. A couple of examples, 1 Thessalonians 5:18. In everything give thanks, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. It's God's will that I be grateful. Thankful for all the little gifts that God has given me. You know, there's a silly thing that, that people say when we when we leave their establishment. I uh, have a great day. And I sometimes say to them, if it's appropriate, you know, I have no control over my day. I cannot have a great day. But I can be grateful. I can be thankful. And I... Don't need to say this to them, but I know in my heart I can say this because this is God's will for me. That I be a cheerful, thankful, hopeful human being. See, that's to do with being, not doing. Another verse, first Thessalonians 4 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Is that hard to understand? God's will for me is sexual purity. Why? Because immorality obscures my vision of God. It is the pure in heart that see God. So what is the will of God for me in terms of sexual morality? It's it's to be pure. That's very simple. There's nothing complex in that. See, morality is complex. Morality is very simple. Ray Stedman once walked into a staff meeting when I was on his, his staff at Peninsula Bible Church, and he had his hand behind his back and he said, I'm holding a stick behind my back, it's crooked, describe it to me. And of course we couldn't. But had he said, I'm holding a stick behind my back that's straight, describe it to me, we could. Very simple. G.K. Chesterton said, there's only one way to stand up, one angle at which to stand up straight, but many angles at which to fall. Morality is very simple. It's the will of God is that it's expressed for us in the New Testament. Let me give you another example. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Is that hard to understand? No, it's very simple. It has to do with what we're to be, not what we're to do. That was at the very inception of his ministry before he said, anything else to his disciples. He set them up by saying, my major concern is not what you do, but what you are. And I want you to be authentically Christian, becoming what I want you to be. Let me sharpen the focus a little bit in the context prior to to this one we're looking at today and the one that Rod taught a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, be imitators of God as dear, dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. In other words, be a little Christ. That's the will of God. Be a little Christ in your home, in your neighborhood, in your shop, in your campus, in your classroom, on your farm, wherever you go. Just be something. Don't worry about doing anything. Doing takes care of itself. It's far more important to be. So how do I know what to be? Do what I've just been doing. Read the New Testament, and find out God's will for you. It's very clear. It's very explicit. It's not hard to understand. Sit at Jesus' feet. Read through the Gospels. Read through the Epistles, which are the apostles' summation of much of what Jesus said, clarification, elucidation uh, of, of what he what he taught what he taught them. That's number one. How do we redeem the times? Understand God's will. He wants you to be something. He wants you to be like Christ. Be a little Christ. Number two, don't get drunk with wine that leads to dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, The New Testament teaching on, on the use of alcohol is moderation. That's all. Because drunkenness leads, he says, to dissipation. Now, he's not talking about the fact that, that, that we dissipate ourselves. He's talking about the fact that we dissipate our energies. It doesn't go anywhere. Drunkenness doesn't accomplish anything. You have a problem, so you get drunk. Or, or, or you do drugs. But when you sober up and you come down, the problems are still there. You haven't accomplished a thing. So it's just, it's just, you just waste your time and your energies. Now, it is true. That sometimes we need need to give ourselves an edge. Because being a little Christ in our culture is swimming upstream, believe me. So where do we get that edge? Well, Paul says, not from alcohol, but from the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. That's one of those phrases you hear Christians use all the time. They talk about Spirit-filled Christians. What on earth does that mean? Do you shimmer and shine and Give off a holy hum and float six inches off the ground. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, again, it's very simple. If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you're following Him, you possess the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to His disciples uh, that uh, He would not leave them orphans, but He would come again. Now, he didn't mean come at his second coming. That's mentioned later in the passage. He's referring to his coming on the day of Pentecost to fill all believers. If you are a believer, he has come. He is dwelling inside you. Your spirit and his spirit are one. That spirit, that Holy Spirit with which you are to be filled is the spirit of Christ. Now, how do you get filled with the spirit? You ask Him. You just ask Him. In fact, Jesus says that in the Gospels. Will He not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What do you need? Oh, I need love. I need kindness. I need His goodness. Ask Him. Fill me with your goodness. Fill me with your calm. Fill me with your quiet spirit, your tranquility. Fill me with your love. See, you're, you're, you're a mother. It's a snow day. The, the kids have been in the house all day. They're driving you crazy. They just tried to set the cat on fire. What you'd like to do is stuff them in a sack and drop them off the nearest bridge. But is that the will of God for you? Now, what is it? You know, it's to be loving to these little munchkins. Maybe it, maybe it needs some tough love, some time out, some discipline, Something. But certainly not to smack them around. That's not the will of God for you to lose your temper in some other way. So what do you do? Say, Lord, fill me with your love for these children. Fill me with your strength, your courage, your kindness, whatever it is that I need. Or suppose you're a man in an office and you're surrounded by attractive women and your mind begins to go in inappropriate directions and you don't want it to go there because you know that it does obscure your vision of God. And so you say, Lord, give me your purity. I mean, I think your thoughts after you about, about these women. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, so understand the will of the Lord, what He wants you to be, and ask Him to fill you so that you can become what He wants you to be. It's a process, it takes time, it's gradual, it's piecemeal, it's step by step. There'll be miscues, failures. As Brennan Manning said, we all shuffle along on feet of clay, but we can make progress. We'll get better at it the more we practice it. We'll become more and more like Christ. And that's what He wants for us. He wants us to be something. Now, what are the marks of the filling of the Spirit? What sort of person will you be? The description follows. It's not a comprehensive list, only suggestive. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord by the way, I'm glad it's in your hearts. If some of you are always singing out loud, I, I would wonder. I had a friend who uh, missed choir practice once, and uh, the choir director thought they'd fix the organ. <laughs> so it's singing in your heart. Always giving thanks to God the Father, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is, again, not a comprehensive list, just a suggestive list of the kind of person that you will be. You'll be a cheerful person you'll speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs you'll be, won't be grumpy, doer always complaining about things you'll become a more grateful person be thankful for the small gifts of life and you'll become a more humble person so the word submit means to, to put yourself under to think of others before you think of yourself You've a cheerful, grateful, humble person. Who doesn't want to be around someone like that? Who wants, who wants to be around people that are always complaining, always griping, you know, they're kvetches. everything is going wrong, and uh, uh, they, they're always looking for their own advantage. But don't you love being around people that are happy, that are thankful, that are humble, that care about you, that listen to you, that don't talk all the time? They listen to you, and they'll pray for you. In short, what God is calling us to be is a wonderfully attractive person. And again, that's a long process. It's a difficult process. There'll be setbacks, but we can be becoming what God has called us. So let me summarize. Find out what's pleasing to the Lord. Get the truth in your mind. Spend time in the Word. Find out what it means to please our Lord. Excuse me. Ask the Holy Spirit of Christ to fill and flood you and make, you, make God's will real in you. Take those truths that you learn as you look into the Word and, and make them real in, in your life. And that's how you redeem the times. <laughs> you say, that's all? You're saying, don't do anything, just be something. That's exactly what I'm saying. Don't do anything. Just be something. Well, you don't need to worry about doing something. You'll do something. When the time comes, you'll know what to do, and you'll do the right thing. But that's not where you start. You start with becoming something, becoming a little Christ, and living it out in your your workplace, and and in your and in your home. See, that's where you begin. First Corinthians thirteen It's very pointed. If I have the tongues of men and angels? And I don't have love. I amount to absolutely nothing. I'm just noise. What's Paul's point? Love comes first. Not some great cause. Not some great campaign. You start with character. You start with love.